Listen and stream the all-new talk radio, Freedom 106.5, for the only talk that matter. And this is Diabetes and You, our special health program featuring the president of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago, Mr. Andrew Danu. And you're listening to Freedom 106.5 FM. My name is Samantha. And again, you are also listening to our special health program, Diabetes and You. Good afternoon, Andrew. Good afternoon, Samantha. How are you doing today? I am very, very well, thank you. And what about you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, pretty busy at the association. I have lots of things going on, which we're going to talk about today, but I am good. That's the most important thing. Excellent. We'll be touching on the topic of health and diabetes education, as well as uh, you have some interesting uh, trending news. I, I think it involves food and the metabolic rate of persons with type 2 diabetes. Also, you'll need to make note of our hotline numbers, which you can use throughout the program if you have a question that you would like to ask pertaining to diabetes. And those numbers are 627-3223, or 625-2257, 625-2257. You're also free to send your question via WhatsApp, and that number is 306-1065, 306-1065. And you can also use the WhatsApp and the hotline numbers. Besides asking your question, you'll use them later on in the program to answer a question and possibly get yourself a test package from the association. Andrew, I know we're supposed to start with um, some exciting news uh, from the association when it comes to foot screening. Yes, yes. And Samantha, we've been talking about the importance of getting your feet checked and the impact that it does have on people with diabetes because we know for many persons, they may eventually develop issues with their feet. And I would have given a statistic given by the chief medical officer that about 30% of hospital beds are taken up by persons with some sort of foot ailment that may have been caused by diabetes. So the Ministry of Health is launching a program and we're in the middle of the program where we are developing strategies to prevent amputations, developing strategies to prevent persons from getting into hospitals. And one of those strategies are with the Diabetes Association, we proposed a foot screening project and uh, we were able to get funded by the Ministry of Health and we supported the Ministry of Health together with the support of the RHAs. Within the next few months, we're going to be working with the Lions Clubs in Trinidad and we're going to be training some of the Lions together with all general volunteers. We're going to train them to screen feet. So we're going to train 100 persons and these 100 persons are going to be sent in communities over the next year. So we are going to go to you because we realize, Samantha, I know people are pretty afraid of getting their feet cut off. That's one of the main fears, one of the major fears people with diabetes have. And of course, in Trinidad, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, in Trinidad, we tend to, to use fear as a motivating factor to do things. And it really doesn't work as well as we think it works. So we need to shift that. Often people are told, you know, if you don't control the diabetes, your foot will get cut off. And that's a fear people have. And that fear facilitates hesitance to seeking care. So if somebody has something with the foot, they get a little cut in the foot and another diabetic, they're going to do their utmost best not to go to the health center, not to see the doctor. Because they are afraid or they hear that someone in the village that happened to them and a few weeks later they got their foot cut off. So they don't want that. We're trying to change that mindset. And of course the reason why that happens is because when people wait too long, the span of a few days of a couple of weeks may matter or may determine if you lose a limb or not. 
And the sooner you seek care, is the sooner you'll be able to have a better prognosis, I meaning that the foot will be able to heal once you control the blood sugars. So we are going to be testing persons, checking their feet, going into communities. So, you know, we'll go to you, we'll come to the supermarkets, we will go to the community centers, to the health fairs, malls, checking the feet of people with diabetes, checking to see if you're losing sensation. So there's a test that you do called a monofilament test, where it's like a little straw, and you touch the bottom of your foot. And um, based on how many points you feel, how many times you feel that little straw touching your foot, we can determine if you're losing sensation or not. And that's very important because we need people to, when we had Liana on, we would have spoken about the importance of having those feelings at the bottom of your foot. When you start losing that, you might mash a nail, you might get cut, and you might know until it's really, really bad. So checking the feet is most important. So we want to screen about 2,000 persons over the course of the next year. And of course, from those 2,000 persons, we want to save many of those persons' feet. We want to save their limbs. Because the aim of the project is to save limbs, to save lives, and to save lives. Because we know that when people have amputations, most of these people are not able to function and not able to work as they would have worked before. So it's a very impactful program that we plan. Sounds exciting indeed, and I think we have someone who would really like to speak with us. Hello and welcome to Diabetes and You. Yeah, morning, morning. I'm calling morning. from San Francisco, and I want to say oh, this program is very, very timely. I mean, the topic you will choose with the feet and so on is very, very good. I want to become part of this thing, but you know what? I want to get the number to call the Diabetes Association and join oh. and so on, but the number you I got the other day, it wasn't working, so I want to get a number to call you all, please. Sure. Sure, you can reach us at 607-3288. 607-3288. That's 607-3288. You can call us anytime between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. Sometimes our phone lines are pretty tied up because we have lots of activities going on. But just keep trying to call and you'll get through yeah. to us. To get through a little faster, what you could do is you can use the extension. When the voice asks you for the extension, use the extension 1001. 1001. Okay, no problem. Yeah. And let me say, I hope God bless you with all health and strength to continue to do what you're doing. You are doing a wonderful job. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, then bye. Bye-bye. Again, you can also call in if you have a question on diabetes and you. Our hotline numbers are 627-3223, 627-3223, or 625-2257, 625-2257. And you can also send those questions via WhatsApp to the number 306-1065. Um, so that's incredible news. So glad to hear about the foot screening program that was approved by the Ministry of Health with the Diabetes Association. And also, what's the update on the raffle, Andrew? Yeah, so as you know, we are trying to raise funds to be able to reach more persons. Everything that we do and all of the folks that we have here at the association are volunteers, well, except for a couple of administrative staff that we have. Everybody volunteers for the association. So the money that we raise in the association goes towards the work of the association. So that is, we are able to fund the projects where we can do screening, we could do education projects, we could do advocacy projects. We need to renovate our clinics here at the association because we want to offer not just screening services, but eventually treatment services. So right now we're doing screening, we're doing eye testing and feet testing, well, feet screening, blood testing. In 2023, we really want to expand to the point where we start offering these services, free services. So we want to be able to have spaces for our diabetic specialists, so endocrinologists, diabetologists who would be able to give up their time and see persons who aren't able to afford to go to a specialist. 
We want to be able to have that. We want to be able to have treatments, eventually maybe even offer dialysis to persons. And that's a topic I will touch soon, talking about the impact of kidney disease on persons with diabetes. But we want to be able to expand. The raffle is what we are using, or one avenue through which we are using to raise those funds. We are giving away a car, a brand new Honda City CNG, together with 30 other prizes, all worth over $500. So we have trips and gadgets and all of that. It's just $20 for a raffle ticket. And you can get a chance to win one of those prizes. We're drawing at the end of August. We still have a bit of raffle tickets to sell out. So within this month, you're going to see our volunteers all around the country at supermarkets, at malls, um, at outreaches across the country. And I want you all to just purchase one ticket. One ticket could give you a chance to win a car, but one ticket also will give us the ability to do more work, reach more people, and be able to help more people. So if you want raffle tickets, you could also go to win. W-I-N-D-A-T-T car.com win.car.com and you could even purchase raffle tickets using our platform you could purchase raffle tickets with a credit card you could purchase with cash and you can get those tickets delivered free to your house so you can go on win.car.com or you can call us as well or look out for us and get those raffle tickets Sounds good. And definitely, I'm hoping a lot of you do participate. Of course, it's for a great cause. We'll be supporting one another, supporting the community and uh, helping the association be able, as they say, to cater and to reach to more people so that uh, those who are diagnosed with diabetes can live a happy, healthy and more fulfilled life. Now, a station that's giving you back the power to speak your mind. The all-new talk radio, Freedom 106.5. And you are listening to Diabetes and You here at Freedom 106.5 FM. And with me, as usual, on a Thursday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. is the president of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago, Mr. Andrew Danu. And we do have someone uh, wanting to ask a question. Hello and welcome to Diabetes and You. Good morning, good afternoon, sorry. I just want to tell you that to tell them thank you very much. I have received a handbook from you all and I appreciate it. It was very lovely. I got the machine. But what I want to find out, if you're not attending the clinic in Mount anymore, I had an amputation with three tools for my feet and I'm on disability. Is it possible that you all have a clinic where I can attend? Or um, there's mm-hmm. a stop to pull up on the feet? I heard you mentioned about um, coming up with um, your taking on arm um, training and stuff, but is there a way I can get in touch with you all to find out more about this? Because I'm not a clinic, a clinic anymore that has charged me for the early COVID time and I have a circulation problem. Thank mm-hmm. you very much, Amanda. Blessings to all of you. I'll be loved one. I'll be listening. Thank you so very much. And thanks for calling us and telling us about that. Um, so we don't do treatments yet at the association. We're doing screening. To be able to get treatments, we will be offering that soon when we have podiatrists with us who would be looking at the feet and taking care of the feet and doing those types of treatments. If you're able to, we can recommend you, we could refer you to podiatrists. However, if they have discharged you from the clinic at Mount Hope, um, on Monday, the Minister of Health put out a mandate that at all clinics, no matter if it is that you're at a diabetes clinic, you're at a hypertension clinic, you're at a heart clinic, any chronic disease clinic, any non-communicable disease clinic, they're going to be checking your feet and regularly they're going to be checking your feet. And that's something that's going to be on soon, very, very soon. So if you are living with diabetes, if you're no longer in one foot clinic, then wherever you are located, wherever you are from, then you should join the clinic in your area. All the clinics are functioning again. I know during the lockdowns and during the restrictions of COVID, you would have had that type of virtual clinic or that type of clinic where you're not able to really see the doctor. 
no way able to see doctors again. So if it is that you are in Mount Rupa, if you want to go to your primary health center, which is the health center located closest to you, you can give us a call at 607-3288 and we'll tell you which health center may be closest to you and what day is the chronic disease day. And that day you should go and join that clinic. And at that clinic, they'll be able to look at the feet and they'll be able to monitor the feet. They'll be able to monitor your blood sugars and check your A1Cs and make sure you're doing okay. But that's the best advice we have for you right now until we are able to do those treatments. And uh, I know we are going to be discussing health and diabetes education, Andrew. So why is Mm -hmm. diabetes education important to prevent and control diabetes in Trinidad and Tobago? Mm -hmm. And this is one of the mandates of the association, education. And of course, our four pillars are education, advocacy, research, screening. Education is one of the most powerful tools that you could give to a person living with diabetes to empower them to take better care of themselves. Self-management is one of the keys to taking care of your diabetes. In Trinidad, however, for a long time, we have been stressing too much on the medicine, as in the medication that you take. And a lot of times people will be taking the medication, they'll be prescribed the medication, but, you know, we really don't invest the time into teaching them about nutrition. We don't invest the time about educating them about physical activity that they should do or other things that they should change in their life to better take care of their diabetes. And oftentimes, people would continue with the lifestyle that caused the disease because, again, like type 2 diabetes, this is a lifestyle disease. So they continue with those same habits. They continue with those same practices because nobody really ever told them that, you know, this is what you should do. And at the beginning, I was saying in our health system, the problem is that we've grown accustomed to telling people what not to do. So don't eat this or don't go here or don't do this a certain way. But we spend very little time in telling them what they should do and how they should do it. And that's what health promotion and health education is about. Telling people or informing people, empowering people to make decisions by telling them how they should do things rather than telling them what they shouldn't do or how they shouldn't do it. By educating people about this, about their diabetes and how they could take care of their diabetes, they're better able to manage their diabetes. Because what happens, Samantha, is somebody takes the medication, we often hear it many, many times. People are prescribed medication and then they take it for a few months and they really see not much progress, if any at all. And then they go back, if they even go back, because we have many persons who may not even go back to the health center and say, you know what, the CDAP medication, they give them really cheap or it's not working properly or whatever. But it really isn't that. It's that the medication is working fine. The medication is working the way it's supposed to be working. However, chronic disease medication is supposed to be used in tandem with lifestyle changes. And if these other modifications aren't made, then the medication isn't going to work. So only about 10 to 15% of your health determinant when it comes to diabetes is actually medication. 75 to 85% is your self-control, your self-management. So that's why education is so important, because if we're able to educate people, if we're able to empower persons with this knowledge, then they'll be able to better take care of themselves. And this is why the association now is pushing for more education. And we're going to be launching a lot of programs soon to educate people at all ages, people with diabetes, people without children and adults. And I think you're also stressing there that uh, the education informs of the holistic approach in managing your diabetes. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And at what age should this education start or when can it start? 
So, of course, the earlier we start, the better. We know that habits are developed very early in life. And last week, I would have given a tip that when children are given very sweet or very salty snacks, they tend to crave these things. And if they aren't given those things, then they really don't have that craving for it. And if you give them a salty or sweet snack, they will simply think it's too salty or sweet for them to consume. So, just like that, health education and education about self-care and living healthy and maintaining healthy lifestyles should start as early as children are able to understand or have um, awareness of themselves. So in primary schools, we really need to improve education and incorporate education into the school curriculum. So although we do have informal structures or informal aspects of health education, we believe that health education should be timetabled. We believe that health education should be part of the curriculum. There is HFLE, Health and Family Education, I believe it is, and that has been taught. But I think it's kind of been pushed aside over the last few years, giving precedence to more academic subjects or taking time to stress on the academics more than the health education part of it. But we believe even starting again at primary school, we have seen that when you have children go out into even a primary school and they learn something and they go home and they see their parents and their grandparents doing something that, you know, they learned in school is an unhealthy behavior. We know that many of these children actually influence the parents and the grandparents to make changes within their life. Because, you know, they say, you know, we learned this in school and this is what we're supposed to be. And you wouldn't believe many children have influence on their grandparents and parents like that. So teachings or things that they learn in school can actually be incorporated into the entire family. So we want to start as early as possible, but we also want to incorporate education throughout the lifespan. What's important to bear in mind is that people who are living a certain way or have habits that they've developed over decades, very rarely would they be able to change those habits. It's very difficult for them to change those habits. So what we really want to do is we really need to target as early as possible. And we really know that when we target earlier, when we target children, they're now able to incorporate this health education throughout their lifespans. So using children and not just any curriculum, but of course using extracurricular activities to be able to incorporate this health education, which of course we'll explore more in a bit, is important for diabetes prevention, important to reduce childhood obesity, and of course other non-communicable diseases which may develop because of lifestyle. So when it comes to health and diabetes education, the president of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago is making a very strong point that he believes it should be included in the school curriculum. So let me talk about the environment at school. What is an obesogenic environment? Right. So that too is something that we've started to hear more and more about in recent years, obesogenic. And obesogenic, of course, comes from the word obesity. And it simply means when we have an environment that enables obesity or an environment that enables excess weight being gained by the population over a short period of time. And the obesogenic environment that we talk about is the access to high calorie foods that are low in essential vitamins and nutrients. So we, so we tend to call them empty calories. So they're very high calorie foods, very easy to access. And now you could pick up the phone and you could get fast food delivered to you at any time in the day, or you could just drive through and get anything that you want. And it's often much cheaper than food that you might consider healthier. So that's one aspect of it. Um, the other is, of course, the reduction in the need for physical activity. We no longer have to walk far distances to get to where we need to go. Cars and transport is available easily. We no longer have to perform manual labor as we used to. 
children no longer play outside, they tend to want to use the phones or they use the tablets. So those aspects all are part of an obesogenic environment. We need to look at that and we need to be able to deal with it in different ways. One of which, of course, is policy and changing policies. And we talk about how government could change policies to reduce those risk factors or reduce the aspects of an obesogenic society. But also, we'll talk about how you at an individual level could put yourself in a healthier state or rather put yourself into an environment that doesn't condone or doesn't promote you gaining weight and you developing these non-communicable diseases. So I know we're going to talk about that in a bit. Talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. This is our special health program called Diabetes and You with the president of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago, Mr. Andrew Danu, and we are discussing health and diabetes education. We do have a caller. Hello and welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Mr. Danu. Hi. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You will remember, sir, or seven, eight years ago, during the Kamala administration, the then Minister of Health, Dr. Ford Khan, said that the children of today are putting a strain on the health services because they are, they are obese at quite an early age. I heard mm-hmm. you mention that a short while ago, but all mm-hmm. we, it's been a lot of seven or eight years. Could you tell us, sir, what improvement, what inroads your organization have made in educating children about the obese? So, mm-hmm. as you know, obese is one of the ways that contribute to diabetes. So, I think this mm-hmm. is important, and, and, and I think you mentioned it earlier. So, hence the reason I'm calling to ask mm-hmm. uh, what improvement you have made or your organization have made, and if not, what improvement you intend to do, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks so much for that question. I really appreciate that you gave us that history lesson showing us what would have been happening. And eight years ago, ten years ago, we were talking about it and there was a problem. Now the problem has gotten worse. And you're right. And the problem is getting worse and we're seeing it. And we spoke about during the lockdowns of COVID and, and children at home and they were less active and, you know, they weren't exercising as much. They were eating different things. A lot of these children gained weight as well. So the problem got worse. So we, as in the Diabetes Association, have lots of plans in place for this. And I'm going to talk about those soon. But also the Ministry of Health is also on a campaign called TT Moves. And this campaign, you're going to be seeing this campaign more and more within schools. You're going to see it within communities. And this campaign encourages persons to drink more water and eat more fruits and vegetables and then be more active. Specifically for children, here's what the association is going to do or has done. In 2019, we started a camp for children who are overweight or children who are obese and at risk for diabetes. At that time, we would have enrolled about 30 or 40 children in the camp because it was the first time we did it. And we were hoping to do it in 2020 to do it on a bigger scale. But of course, we all know what happened at the beginning of 2020. And we were unable to do the camp because we simply couldn't meet the children because everybody was at home in lockdown. This year, however, we are going to restart that child lifestyle camp where we're going to be taking children, we're going to be putting out an ad for parents who may recognize within their children, you know, the child is overweight, the child may be obese, the child may have signs of prediabetes like acanthosis, which is that darkening on the neck 
And if those signs are there, then you sign up for a free camp. And of course, the camp most likely will be funded by the Ministry of Health and other sponsors. But it will be a free camp. And this camp will allow us to teach these children, again, talking about health education, teach your children about nutrition, show them how they should be eating, what they should be eating, how they should cook. Teach parents as well about the things that they should do. Teach them about how they could be more active. Teach them about the consequences and empower them to make those better decisions. So that's one of the things that we're going to do for that specific group of children who are already in or very close to developing diabetes, who are very overweight or who may be at home, who may be at risk. Of course, we know we can't reach all the children because we may be able to just cater for about 100 children this year. But next year, definitely, as we expand, we're going to be doing more and more of these activities. In the meantime, we are going to be launching other activities to promote health education in schools, specifically around diabetes, around health, around um, nutrition, around exercise. So another initiative that we are working on currently with the Ministry of Health is a diabetes animated series. Because we know animations, cartoons always reach children much easier. And I mean, even adults, it's very easy to relay messages like that. So we're going to be working on that animated series that's going to be educating or aimed at educating children about diabetes, about prevention, about things that they should do. Um, in terms of health policy, we were just talking about health policy. We were talking about health policy as why government should have certain policies in schools. And I said that, you know, governments before, present and all before, and everybody who has been in health before have always focused on what you shouldn't do, telling you not to do this. And those things are important because those things are part of the health policy. Those things are important for driving a society towards a healthier state. One example of this is banning of sugar-sweetened beverages in schools, which is part of the process. And that did help because, of course, you limited the amount of high-caloric, high-sugar foods in schools for children. So that did help quite a lot. However, banning those beverages and not having a good alternative and not having something where, you know, telling the children what they should actually have and promoting those things are really not doing anything good for you because it's like two sides of the coin. You have to stop the bad behaviors, but you also need to encourage the good behaviors. So one of the things that we are going to do on the Association, we recently started a program with sixth formers. And Samantha, these sixth formers are so enthusiastic, they're so bright. And we teach them about everything about running an NGO, teaching about health promotion and education and research and all the clinical sides of diabetes. And we are going to form a youth arm with these 36 formers. And they are going to be, we're going to let them out. We're going to be letting them out to do activities in their schools and in their communities. And I could see a huge change with this because really young persons, beyond the enthusiasm, they have the energy, they have the drive, and they have ideas that, you know, we may not think of specifically for their demographics. Because we may think that certain things reach them. We may think that certain things are best for them. But sometimes they are the ones who may really know what's best. And we really miss any mark that is that we sit and we make policies and we make changes without consulting these young people. Knowing that, you know, this is what they do. This is their lives. And they know what they like. They know what they don't like. And they may know what works. So we are going to be doing that. We are going to be using these children. We are going to be doing initiatives. And one of the things that we want to really look at is promoting exercise in schools and promoting eating of fresh fruit and more fresh fruit and vegetables in schools. We were asking, Samantha, we were asking the children here, well, some of them are 18, some of them are 17, 16, but we were asking them, um, and they represent probably about 16 or 17 schools across the country, um, if any of them have fruit or vegetables sold in their cafeteria, and not one of them said yes. So not one of them, none of these school cafeterias had fruit, bananas, 
oranges, apples, mangoes. None of those things were available in the school cafeteria. Another thing that we really need to change is that physical education has, I have noticed physical education has turned more academic than physical. Mm-hmm. Um, now they need to study. They need to study and they need to, you know. Um, A lot of theory involved. Exactly, exactly. So one of the things we really want to do, Samantha, is advocate for having timetabled physical activity sessions at all ages. So I think usually when you're in form one, you have to do it. Form two, you may have to do it. And then when you reach up in form three, the academics take full center stage. Um, we know that when children are unhealthy, they perform not as well in the academics. So we always want to, we want to encourage physical activities. So this group of children, this group of advocates, this group of youths are going to be designing a policy that we're going to submit to the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Health. Whereas they see it, or rather they're going to present the needs that they see that we need to address in order to increase health in schools. So those strategies, as the gentleman would have called, we would be able to see a reduction in cases of childhood diabetes, type 2 diabetes, that is, in the coming years. But let's see. And we're working very, very diligently on it. You stress so much. Well, thanks, of course, to the question by the caller about what the Diabetes Association is doing to help reduce that obesogenic diet environment story in Trinidad and Tobago. And you didn't mention what could be done in schools, but what about at the community level? How can that mm-hmm. health education be introduced and uh, reduce that obesogenic environment? So community is very important. And when we talk about community, we talk about the people in the community and we also talk about the facilities or the infrastructure within the community. So one trend that we have seen over the last few years is every single, well, probably about 20 years ago, every single village had a savannah. Every single village had a place, a green space that children would gather at the end of the day and play football and cricket and all of those things. Now, most of those spaces are either overgrown with bush, taken over for housing, you see cattle grazing on it, or been made more commercial. And we know we do have some really nicely maintained um, um, savannas and grounds, but they're not as many as they used to be before. And those environments used to encourage children to go out. Of course, when we talk about the community and we talk about the level of the infrastructure, here's where we bring in not just the Ministry of Health, but Ministry of Works and Ministry of National Security, even because one of the limitations, one of the reasons people don't go out anymore to exercise in the afternoon is because they're afraid. They're afraid of crime. So things like footpaths to walk on, things like security and lighting for persons to be able to see in the evenings to exercise, those infrastructures need to be put in place to be able to have an enabling environment in the community, at the community level, for persons to lead healthier lives. So we've seen during the time of COVID when, well, I'm saying we're still in it, but I mean, when we were in the lockdowns, everybody was clamoring. When there were restrictions on physical activity outside, everybody was doing like it. You know, people who'd never walked before were complaining that, you know, they can't walk anymore. And when those restrictions were lifted, everybody used to go on the road and everybody used to go to the savannas. And that was so encouraging that people were doing those things. We need to encourage that. We need to have that within communities. We want to encourage that within community groups. So I know at the Ministry of Health level and even at the Diabetes Association level through our branches, because we are expanding and opening more branches, we're going to be encouraging those activities, have more physical activity, more spaces, more diabetes education within the community so that we'll be able to empower these persons throughout the country. And I think we could just quickly touch on society as a whole and with the government approach how to promote that healthy living. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So definitely, when we talk about government, and we mentioned that we need to have a whole of government, whole of society approach. And this is something we were talking about on Monday when we met with the Ministry of Health. As in, whole of government, whole of society means, you know, whole of government is not just Ministry of Health. It's all of the other ministries who may have some role to play in promoting health. And that's the linkage we need to establish. We also need to have whole of society. And whole of society means, of course, from the church groups to the faith-based organizations, you know, those different religious boards, to community organizations and youth groups and civil society organizations, service organizations like Lions and Retreat. Everybody needs to come together. This is where an organization like the Diabetes Association comes in because we kind of coordinating and we kind of amalgamating all of these services. So we have the Lions and Rotary Clubs and youth organizations and ministries all working together towards these projects. And of course, this foot screening program program I told you about, all of those players are going to be involved. So we need all hands on deck, we need everybody involved, and here's where we're going to be able to make meaningful change because we have everybody, you know, one problem in Trinidad is we often have people working in silos, a term that's kind of become cliche now, in that many different groups in Trinidad want to do the same thing, and they tend to do it separately and apart from each other. And then some succeed, but most often feel in what they want to do. Because effort is duplicated, resources are limited. But when we pool together and we work together, we can make a bigger impact and we have a better chance of succeeding. So this is why coordination is so important. So we are doing that. We're working with all of the partners who want to work with us and we're trying to make a bigger impact on society. Thank you so much, Andrew. Andrew Danu, president of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago. As I would say, you know, this is a discussion that we can have again and again and again when it comes to health and diabetes education in Trinidad and Tobago. Talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. This is Diabetes and You. I know Andrew has a trending story when it comes to news. And just yesterday, I'm trying to remember the exact year, but I do think it may be in the 70s, where actually yesterday, when you look back in mm-hmm. history, was the day that two scientists isolated insulin and it became a breakthrough in treating persons diagnosed with diabetes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the process of, um, of isolating that insulin actually started with a dog. So they actually extracted the insulin from a dog's pancreas and they started to use it. It was about 100 years ago and the process was started around this time. And last year we celebrated 100 years. So this year will be 101 years. And then, of course, they would have given a little boy with type 1 diabetes who would have died if he wasn't treated because that was the prognosis. That was if someone had diabetes and they needed insulin, then they would have died. They would have starved to death and died because that what used to happen 100 years ago. But of course, with insulin and with the development of insulin, that no longer is. And persons can live long, healthy lives with insulin. But of course, we don't use dog pancreases anymore to produce insulin. They're produced in a lab, laboratory techniques with bacteria. But that's a story for another day. And while it was 101 years ago, um, they're still doing research when it comes to diabetes. I know you have something that is uh, trending these days mm-hmm. with the discussion. Yes. So we were talking about food and the importance of self-management and talking about um, how you should be eating as a diabetic or living with diabetes. And one interesting article that I found yesterday is a study done by a group in Europe. It's a group in the Netherlands and it would have published in the journal Diabetologica, which is a very prominent journal in Europe, medical journal that is. And what they found was that limiting food intake during the daytime it has a beneficial effect on your metabolism. And what that means, and it's often something that we've heard, don't eat too late. Have your last meal around 6 p.m. 
Why do we say that? Why is that said? So there are two trains of thought. One is that really, sometimes people say, you know, don't eat any night, you'll gain weight, whatever. Really, if it is that you eat any night and you're not living with diabetes, then that should be fine because it depends on your total caloric intake for the entire day. So for the entire day, for the entire week, you consume more calories and you burn, you're going to gain weight. And then the opposite is true. If you burn more, you're going to lose weight. But for persons with diabetes, you want to limit the amount of circulating sugar in your bloodstream. And that means that you want to have a true fasted state. You want to have a state where you're sleeping in the night, where when you wake up in the morning, your blood sugar should be lower or within that fasted region, which again, as we said, between 80 to 126. So we want that blood sugar to go down during that time because having that lower blood sugar is actually beneficial for a while. So these scientists would have experimented on persons or used subjects and they would have restricted the times in which they would have eaten. So they had a 14-hour fast and a 10-hour fast, meaning that the 14-hour fast meant that if you eat, say, eat breakfast at 8 a.m., then the last meal that you have for the day is 6 p.m. And that group versus a group that only fasted for 10 hours, meaning if you eat breakfast at 8 a.m., then your last meal is 10 p.m. What they saw over a few weeks is that the people who would have stopped eating earlier or had a longer time when they are fasting, meaning finish eat at six and have nothing else, actually had better blood sugar control over the course of a few weeks. Their A1Cs actually dropped. So this is actually some promising news. And they actually did an experiment where you had a 10-hour group, meaning that you eat your last meal at 3 p.m. And for persons who eat the last meal at 3 p.m., it was even more beneficial. But of course, it's not feasible for you all to have your last meal at 3 p.m it may be more feasible to have dinner at 6 p.m. And for these people, if you limit how much you consume, or rather limit the time that they have the last meal, you may actually have better blood sugar control. So it's something very interesting that's coming out. Very interesting indeed. And I think we can quickly get into our giveaway. Um, you have an easy question for us, Andrew? Yes, it's very easy. Um, something that we would have chatted about today and talking about health promotion and things that we could do. Um, if someone could call and it, it doesn't have to be something I would have said, probably something in your own opinion. Tell us something that you could do to decrease the obesogenic society, meaning something you could do to promote health, something you could do within your community or within your family to make your family or community healthier. That's all. We want to hear from you. Very yeah. easy indeed. Great. And uh, if you can answer the question correctly, you'll get yourself a package from the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago. We have a caller. Hello and welcome to Diabetes and You. Oh, hi. Good afternoon. I would say to encourage obesity and the young children organize play sessions after school, like group, mm-hmm. um, maybe with different schools. Um, and maybe as they get in, involved in football or cricket, they can have competitions, they can, you know, and just the promotion exercise. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. That's really, really good. So we encourage that type of exercise after school. So I love that. I think you deserve the prize for that. Well, actually, Kamini is a second-time winner. Congratulations. So I have your info, which I will pass on to Mr. Danu, so that you may be able to collect your package. Congratulations once again. Thank you, Kamini. Samantha, I'm doing this for somebody else who's been just diagnosed with diabetes, and they are in a state of panic, like the world Mm -hmm. has come to an end. So I thought, Mm -hmm. with all I've learned from your program, I mean, I'm not diabetic myself, but I know lots of others who are, and this would be just the first little something I can give to say, hey, look, you don't have to buy this. You've got this for free. 
-hmm. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Kamini, for being so generous. Thank you. So that is our winner for the afternoon right here on Diabetes and you at Freedom 106.5 FM. I do have a question that is for you, Andrew. Someone is asking via WhatsApp. Um, they heard that the diabetic clinic is coming on stream. They want to know when it will be in Tableland. Mm-hmm. They may be referring to the diabetic ice cream. Uh, we are going to be coming to you all soon. Tomorrow we are in Port of Spain. Next week we are in Maruga and also in Tobago and in Shibonas. In September, we will try to come to Tableland. I will speak to the counselor for the area there and we'll get a space. I will come to Tableland. Because you asked, we will come to Tableland in September. Yeah, the person is specifying, you know, it's that it's a place past Princess Town, I guess. It's- <laughs> They're trying to say, you know, um, maybe um, most people don't know, but I think you are, the association is aware. We go all across the country and we make sure that we reach everyone in rural areas and urban areas and that we are going to come to Table Island. We were in Princess Town, I think in Craignish a couple of months ago, but we'll come to Table Island as well. Very good indeed. And, uh, you know, this was a very jam-packed program. I think uh, whatever else we were planning to discuss today, we'll have to wait till next week. Uh, yes. So thank you so much, Andrew. Andrew Danu, who is the president of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago. Any parting words? And thanks, Samantha, so much for today again. And I want to thank all the callers that would have reached out to us. And if you need assistance, if you need help beyond this program, you can reach us at 607-3288. That's 607-DAT. You can also message us on Instagram or Facebook. Look for the Diabetes Association and help us. Help us raise some funds to open these clinics and do all of the work, purchase your raffle tickets so you can call us and find how you could get it or where we will be that may be close to you so you could support the association as well. Thank you so much, Andrew. And that was Diabetes and You, our special health program featuring the president of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago, Mr. Andrew Danu. And you can join us every Thursday from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. for answers to your healthcare questions on diabetes live right here at Freedom 106.5 FM. Talk is streaming at Freedom 106.5.com.